Let's hear God's word now from the book of Ecclesiastes, chapter 11, beginning with verse 7. Truly the light is sweet, and it is pleasant for the eyes to behold the sun. But if a man lives many years and rejoices in them all, yet let him remember the days of darkness, for they will be many. All that is coming is vanity. Rejoice, O young man, in your youth, and let your heart cheer you in the days of your youth. Walk in the ways of your heart and in the sight of your eyes. But know that for all these, God will bring you into judgment. Therefore, remove sorrow from your heart and put away evil from your flesh, for childhood and youth are vanity. Amen. We'll end our reading there at the end of Ecclesiastes chapter 11. And let's once again ask for God's help in a brief word of prayer. Our gracious God and Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for how your word addresses us in the variety of our needs in all the stages of life with the different mistakes and difficulties that we can make or encounter. And we thank you that the scope, the burden, the direction of your word is always to point us away from ourselves and to the Lord Jesus Christ. May that be done today, O Lord, so that we would not live, not walk in our own strength, but that knowing our God, we would be strong and do exploits. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. This is obviously, from the way in which it is expressed, a text that is particularly directed to young people. It's right there in verse 9. Rejoice, O young man, in your youth. And so there's definitely a sense in which this sermon is especially appropriate for the young people in our congregation. I hope no one feels discriminated against by that. The passage that is coming up next time we're in the book of Ecclesiastes is particularly focused on those who are in a different stage of life. So everybody does receive some instruction from God's word. And of course, I certainly hope this morning that not only the young, but all ages will be able to profit from what is held out before us here. There are three commands that really give structure to this passage, that really tell us what it is all about. There is the indirect command, the exhortation to remember in verse 8, let him remember the days of darkness. There is the command to rejoice at the beginning of verse 9. And then in verse 10, there is the command to remove sorrow from your heart and put away evil from your flesh. So those are the exhortations to remember, to rejoice, and to remove. And so for those who are starting out in life, say those who just recently began a new job or something along those lines, these are words that will guide you. These are words that will help you to navigate the challenges that you are facing. But they're in a context, and they're in a context which really expands the instruction to include all of us. So let's jump in with the first part. We are to remember the days of darkness, and that is setting out a contrast. How does the passage begin? The light is sweet, and that is true. If you have been through a Midwestern winter where 50 or 60 days went by, where the skies were gray every single day where the days were short, 
when the sun breaks through, when you see the light, that really is a very sweet thing. Vision is good. Having things to see and having light to see them by is wonderful. It's pleasant. Now, this verse might come as a little bit of a surprise. Ecclesiastes has been a book that has definitely talked to us about the difficulties of life, about the vanity and futility and frustration and brevity and fleetingness of all that we see. But he's never lost touch with reality. He's never denied that there's enjoyment there. He's never denied that the light is sweet, that it's pleasant to behold the sun. And now he spells that out again. That is one part of what we need to keep in mind. We need not to be ridiculous. We need not to run to extremes. The light is sweet. It's good to behold the sun. I remember one morning, particularly going into work, the sun was rising, and it was not a particularly great time in life. It was not a particularly great day. But as I walked from the parking lot into the building where I worked and saw the sun rising, That was sweet. There was a lot of joy embedded in that. You realize that whatever else is going on, God is sustaining his creation, and there's still remarkable sunrises that bring an unexpected burst of joy into a life that at that time seemed a little dreary. We don't deny that. We continue to enjoy that. But, of course, that's one side of what Ecclesiastes has taught us. He's taught the other side as well. If a man lives many years and rejoices in them all, yet let him remember the days of darkness, for they will be many. Now, there's more than one way to understand this, as you've gotten used to in the book of Ecclesiastes, huh? On the one hand, there are people who say, so being young is good, but then you're going to die and you're going to be dead for a long time. You might have many years, but the days of darkness will be many. That's possible, but I don't think it's quite as likely because when you contrast years and days, years seem longer than days, right? We know that. That's how it works. A day is over quickly. A year takes a long time. So although it's true that compared to how long you will be dead, your life is a short space, I don't think that's the point that he's making. Instead, listen to how he phrases the contrast. If a man lives many years and rejoices in them all, yet the days of darkness will be many. What is he saying? Well, he's saying that even if you have a great life, even if it's a long life and in every year you find reasons to rejoice, yet there will be many days, there will be many individual moments, many episodes in that long and overall joyful life that were hard. And of course, you hear it when you're talking to somebody who has had a long life already. Many times you will hear them make the comment, well, I've had a good life. And praise the Lord for everybody who can say that. When you start digging into details, they also tell you about some of the hard days. And you realize this overall good life included many days of darkness. There were times of illness. There were times of despair. There were times of great stress. There were times when they couldn't get any sleep because there was so much going on or they were so worried about it. And I think that is what Solomon has in mind. You may live a long life. You may rejoice in every year. Every year there will be good things. Every year it will remain true 
that the light is sweet. It's pleasant to behold the sun. But there will also be days of darkness. Don't forget about that part. And young people, don't forget about that part either. There's much to look forward to, but there will be shade. There will be darkness. There will be trial. Don't be surprised. Don't be upset. Don't be rattled. Don't be shaken. If you thought that you were going to sail through life with never a storm, that's not going to happen. There will be storms of one kind or another. But you can have days of darkness and still have years wherein it was pleasant to behold the sun. Your life doesn't have to be more bad than good. It can be more good than bad, but it will include some days of darkness. Remember that. That's important for being realistic. It's also important for not setting your hope on this world. That's the burden of the book of Ecclesiastes in so many ways. Vanity of vanities, all is vanity. You cannot find ultimate satisfaction in this life. You can have a life that, on the whole, is more good than bad, but it's not ultimate satisfaction here. Even if your days of darkness are as few as anybody has ever had, there will be enough days of darkness to teach you, to remind you that this world is not your home. Sometimes when young people are starting out, you know, they're so focused on this is what I'm going to achieve, this is what I'm going to accomplish, this is the kind of life I'm going to build for myself, whether that's an Olympic-sized swimming pool or whether that's particular professional recognition or whether that's finding a job they love so it doesn't feel like they're working or whatever their particular aspiration may be, you're not going to find ultimate satisfaction. The days of darkness will be many and all that is coming is vanity. You need something beyond this world. Now, we're not forgetting the other part. There's much that you will enjoy. But remember that darkness is coming. Remember that all that is coming is vanity. And don't set your heart here. You can receive things, you can enjoy them, and you can let them go when you understand that it's all part of this vain world and that they're not meant to be where you settle down, where you live, where you park and where you find all your comfort and all your joy, when you realize that in this life, blessings like days of darkness come and go, you don't set your heart on, this has to be just perfect. You're more flexible. You're more adaptable. Therefore, you're more joyful. And as life goes by, your hope is increasingly set, not here where all that is coming is vanity. Your hope is increasingly set on God's eternal kingdom where the days of darkness are over. So remember, be realistic. Don't stop enjoying, but keep the realities, keep the parameters in mind. But we need to move on to the second command, which comes to us in verse 9. Rejoice, O young man, in your youth. Let your heart cheer you in the days of of your youth. Walk in the ways of your heart, And in the sight of your eyes, but know that for all these things, God will bring you into judgment. Now, here again, there's a couple of ways to take this verse. Some people think that Solomon is saying this sort of ironically. Go on, do whatever you want. You see something, you take it, but God will judge you for it. However, I don't think that fits quite as well with the context as 
looking at it this way, the what their heart wants, what their eyes see, that's not referencing something sinful. And of course, that will be addressed in the next verse. Instead, it's just talking about young people enjoy life. That's good. That's proper. That's appropriate. Martin Luther says in his comments on this passage that joy is as necessary for young people as food and drink. Well, I think there's a lot of wisdom in that. So with the emphasis that we've had repeated times in Ecclesiastes on enjoying the good things in life, it doesn't surprise me at all, and I don't think you need to take it as being sarcastic, when Solomon says, rejoice in your youth. God has blessed you with life, with health, with vigor, with a sense of fun, with a spirit of adventure. Enjoy it. Go for it. Now, don't go for anything that's sinful. That's actually not enjoyable. That's going to make things worse, not better. But while it's not sinful, go for it. Now, you need the restraint. You need to remember the days of darkness are coming, and you need to remember that God's judgment is coming. But I want you to notice the connection here, a juxtaposition. The command to rejoice is joined with the reminder that God will bring you into judgment. And a lot of the times people read that, and that's why they think Solomon is being sarcastic. Well, if God is going to judge me, then I can't possibly rejoice. You know, you're telling me to rejoice, but you don't mean it. You're taking away with the other hand what you just gave. I think that's a superficial view of God's judgment. I think that's arising from a heart. The the source of that interpretation is a misapprehension based in a heart that still thinks that doing what you want means sinning and not doing what you want. That's holiness. And there are people who take that approach. And and I understand that. And if you've gotten that approach, if you've heard that approach taught to you, I'm not surprised and I'm not blaming you for having heard that or for having internalized that. But I think there is a better approach. Why do we think that holiness means doing what we don't want and sin means doing what we want? If that's true of us, who is that criticizing? Who is that condemning? Well, that's condemning me myself because what I want is what's bad. Now, if what I want is to see the light, to behold the sun, if I want to rejoice in the good things that God gives, what's wrong with that? So a lot of this is really exposing our hearts. If I think, well, on the one hand, Solomon says, have fun, rejoice. And he says, but God is going to judge me. Well, I can't have any fun if God is going to judge me. Well, why would God judge you for your fun unless your fun is being found in garbage, in sin, in wickedness? If you think of sin and wickedness as fun, okay, read the passage that way if you must. But I don't think you're getting deep enough. The call to holiness that the Bible reiterates again and again is not a call to be miserable, is not a call to be unhappy, is not a call to give up on joy and rejoicing. The call to holiness is a call to genuine joy, to true joy, to lasting joy. Genuine joy, lasting pleasure, none but Zion's children know. 
the song says. You can rejoice knowing that God will bring you into judgment. If you have the right standpoint, if you have the right mindset, if you're a stranger to Christ, if you don't know what it is to be justified by Christ, if you don't know what it is to be adopted and to be God's child and to love righteousness and hate sin, well, then this verse won't make any sense. Rejoice, God is going to judge you. But if you know those truths, if they have sunk into your heart, then you can look at this verse in a different way. You can say, yes, God gives us all things to enjoy. We're going to rejoice in what God has given us. And even judgment then is not bad. It's important to remember because we do still have sin within us. We do have a tendency to get carried away. We can be confused or misled or deceived. So remember the days of darkness are coming. Remember that all that is coming is vanity. Remember that there is a judgment, that we will give account, that we must reply to God for how we used what he gave us. But what account will it be if you appear before the judgment seat of Christ and he says, did you enjoy the good things I gave you? And you say, no, I was afraid. I was not going to enjoy anything because I was worried that if I put a toy out of line, I'd get zapped. How does it go over if you go home, you visit your parents, they make your favorite meal, and you're like, I better not eat it. That might upset them. Not eating it is more likely to upset them than having a hearty serving, right? Because they made it for you, and they made it for you to rejoice. If God gives us all good things, and we're like, nope, 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 can't risk it. Is that pleasing to God? Is that gratitude? So don't read this verse as, you better not have any fun or you'll get smitten. It's saying the opposite. Rejoice in what God gives you. Enjoy the good things that God has provided. Remember, there is a judgment. We are accountable to God, but we are accountable to God for our rejoicing as well as for our self-control and our discipline and our restraint. I'm not against self-restraint. There's definitely a place to deny ourselves. We cannot be the disciples of Christ if we don't take up our cross and follow him and deny ourselves. But it's not denying yourself. It's not pretending to yourself that the light is not sweet. That's not self-denial. It's turning away from sin. It's turning away from self-righteousness and self-reliance, looking to Christ, leaning on him, and in his name receiving the blessings that God gives with joyful and thankful hearts. True joy is inseparable from true faith and true Christianity. Now, when I say that, I realize I need to qualify. Sometimes we go through seasons of darkness and gloom. There are days of darkness. Sometimes it's hard to feel that we have any true joy in our hearts. And if that's your situation, I don't mean to beat you up and make it even worse this morning. But what has God called you to? Has God called you to a life of unending misery? No. The joys here are a foretaste of future joys to come. How did Christ endure the cross? For the joy that was set before him. Maybe you're in a season like Christ was on the cross where all is darkness. You could say that Christ did not have joy then. But there was joy on the other side. 
If this morning you're in despair, you're in depression, you're cast down, there is joy on the other side. But the point I'm trying to make with using that kind of language, that true joy is inseparable from true faith, is that God hasn't called you to misery. Misery is not the long-term plan. Weeping endures for a night, say the Psalms. But what comes in the morning? Joy comes in the morning. Rejoice then in your youth. Rejoice in your middle age. Rejoice in your old age. Rejoice in whatever time of life you're in. Rejoice in what God has given you. And there's still one more good thing we can say about judgment here. It gives meaning to life. If you could go through life and do whatever and not be accountable, what meaning, what purpose would there be in getting up, doing this, doing that, doing the other thing? There wouldn't be any. And so all of your rejoicing would just be a desperate attempt to distract yourself from the futility, the emptiness, the absolute worthlessness of your life. But here's the reality. Your life is worth a great deal. It's worth so much that, so to speak, God will sit down with you and conduct a review of your life. That's how meaningful your life is, that the Almighty Lord, the creator of heaven and earth, puts you in his schedule to go over your life with you, to review what you did and what you didn't do, to review when you rejoiced and when you didn't. Does that give us any meaning, any sense of purpose or direction? Your life matters. Your rejoicing matters, and it matters to the God of heaven and earth. Oh, rejoice then, because God will judge. But once again, we need to move on to verse 10, where he says, Remove sorrow from your heart and put away evil from your flesh, for childhood and youth are vanity. Now here again you see that Ecclesiastes is always trying to make us keep in mind more than one thing at a time. Rejoice in your youth, childhood, and youth are vanity. Both things can be true at the same time. If childhood and youth are all you have, then childhood and youth are absolutely vanity. There's no point to them. There's no value in them. But if childhood and youth are one of God's gifts that are carrying you forward to the culmination, to the consummation of your life in the day of judgment and the settling of your eternal state, well, then childhood and youth are a gift that have tremendous meaning. Now, here with verse 10, there's also a couple of ways to read it. One basically takes it like this. Remove sorrow from your heart and put away evil. In other words, put away pain, put away anxiety, put away vexation. And I think there's a lot to commend that reading. I think there's a lot of value in that advice. Should you seek out things to worry about? Should you seek out reasons to be sad? Or should you accept that even though there are days of darkness, there's also days of unexplicable happiness? Well, I think you should accept that. I don't think you should go looking. I don't think you should be trying to make yourself miserable. And of course, pain and vexation, anxiety, worrying, those are all ways that we bring evil to our flesh that we wouldn't have to bring. 
when you catastrophize, when you spend your life with what ifs, what ifs, what ifs, you're bringing a lot of evil in that you could have completely avoided. So there's a lot to commend that, but there's also another way to understand it, which is remove sorrow from your heart. In other words, turn away from what causes sorrow. Remove evil from your flesh. Don't give way in the vanity of childhood and youth because we have to be realistic. God gives us many good things to enjoy, but we often find ways to pervert them. We often find ways to twist them to our own hurt. If there are people who rest, who distort the scriptures to their own destruction, well, there's also people who distort the light of the sun and other good things to their own destruction. If the word of God is not immune to that, neither are any of God's other gifts. So on that framing, Because God will judge you, and you notice there's a therefore, therefore remove sorrow from your heart. Because God will bring you into judgment, put away sorrow. Put away what causes sorrow. What brings sorrow? Well, in the book of Proverbs, you can discover that drunkenness brings sorrow. Throughout the whole Bible, you can discover that sin brings sorrow. Put away evil from your flesh. Don't Let sin reign in your members, as Paul says in Romans chapter 6. What is the way to a life of enjoying your youth, using your youth meaningfully to prepare for a long life where there are days of darkness, that's inevitable, but there's not that many of them. Turn away from sin. As Paul said to Timothy, flee youthful lusts. Now, sometimes it's hard for kids and for young people to grasp that that is not given out of a stern and dour, I want you to be unhappy mindset. But I hope the rest of the sermon has made that clear. I don't tell you to turn away from sin. I don't tell you to run away from youthful lusts and ridiculous temptations because I'm mad at you and because I want you to suffer. It's the opposite. Those things are like the hooks you use to catch fish. Maybe there's a worm or a nightcrawler. Maybe there's a piece of salami on that hook. But the fish bites and gets a sharp barb in its mouth. Well, that is what sin is like. The hook is baited with the promise of fun or with the promise of standing out, with the promise of success, with many promises to Adam and Eve That hook was baited with, you'll be like gods, you'll know good and evil. But it was a lie. They knew shame and disgrace instead. And that remains true. Sin is offered up as though it were fun or as it were the way to succeed. But it's a lie. It's a baited hook. And those barbs will sink in deep because God will judge you then. Remove sorrow from your heart. Put away evil from your flesh because childhood and youth are vanity. If we can resume, if we can summarize briefly the message of this passage to young people but to all of us, the key to a rejoicing and meaningful life, remember, rejoice, remove, do all of this in the name of Christ. It's Christ who lets you know that there's something beyond vanity. It's Christ who lets you know how to rejoice, how to use the good gifts that God has given you in a way that contributes to your overall good 
and to the glory of his name. Rejoice because you are a Christian. Rejoice because you have no fear of judgment, therefore. But rejoice because your life matters to God and it matters to him that you enjoy what he has given.